What's poppin' beautiful people? Your happy accident has led you to the Stupid Scientist Podcast. And these are my inner ramblings. As you're listening to this broadcast, I challenge you to do three things. First, expand your mind. Second, think critically. And last, but certainly not least, probably one of the most important things a scientist does is to formulate new hypotheses. I hope, oh how I hope, that by the end of this, you feel just a little bit stupid. But check it, don't you dare stay that way. Welcome back, beautiful people, and we're going to pick right back up where we left off in the last episode. Hope you enjoyed the rest of the conversation. My HBCU experience that I went to Stillman College gave me confidence. You know, I I got to participate in a variety of things I was seeing as an individual. um, And I wasn't lumped in or grouped in with with, uh, a a larger community. Granted, I understand the significance and importance of community, but I was seen for my individual contributions to any project that I was on. And when I transitioned to uh, my PWI for my doctorate, I definitely felt like timidness had started to become instilled in me. And I found myself at the end of that process longing, longing to be back in a situation to where I was seen as an individual again. Um, When I I wanted to do my postdoc at at Morehouse School of Medicine, and I was this close to getting there, Um, but you know, funding and finances, uh, resources weren't available. So I ended up at the University of Chicago. And I know that's like a slap (laughs) in UChicago's face because it's a fantastic institution. Um, but it's not where I wanted to go because it, I don't, didn't feel like it was going to nurture me the way that I needed to be nurtured to develop and thrive. And so I'm having to reach back on the lessons that I learned while pursuing my HBC, uh, HBCU degree, reach back on those lessons of confidence, um, of articulation and, and things of that nature in order to succeed and thrive in my current career, career in corporate America. I'm definitely not finna step in here and be talking over. <laughs> you, you <get> <laughs> no, I was gonna say, I think that that's an interesting point that you make, Kendra. So I have the opposite experience. I, I've never attended an HBCU. However, I am from a predominantly black city. And so all of the, the, grade, uh, the grade schools I've attended have been predominantly black. And I find myself, and I'm not someone I would consider shy or soft-spoken in any means or having, I've never had difficulty advocating for myself, but in entering undergraduate and graduate school, I was confronted, it was the first time I've actually had to confront the confront my race as an aspect of my identity. Because when you're in, a, in an environment where everyone looks like you, that's not the primarily, primary way that I identified myself. And so I was, I, was, I was thrown into this environment where not only did people not look like me, but and I never had these experiences, but I apologize. Um, I didn't have the language to um, describe what I was experiencing. So not only was it culture shock, but I didn't have a way to express what I was feeling. And I didn't, I didn't have a way, um, I apologize. Um, it was also hard to be affirmed in what I, that my experiences were real. Um, scientists tend to like to explain things away. And so if I did experience something that I thought was that could have been racist, you know, it wasn't necessarily someone outright calling me a disparaging term to my face, which is the type of racism I had learned about in grade school, but things that I felt that might not be right, but wasn't sure I didn't have anyone to kind of bounce 
those ideas off of is, is this normal? Is this fair? Is this right? Is this because of who I am as a person or is this just the process? And when I did start to develop language or start to call out those experiences, having people question my truth and tell me, you know, oh, it's not because you're black that someone pulled your hair. It's not because you're black that someone decided to have the conversation around you of why they can or can't use the N-word and why they should be able to, you know, just these like really blatant displays of racism or other isms that I had never had to deal with before. And I'm dealing with a lot more frequently in these spaces without, you know, a soundboard or without an advocate or without acknowledging the fact that there are even problems in the first place was just an experience that I never expected to have to deal with in graduate school or undergrad. Um, and I didn't feel prepared to have those conversations because I had never had them. Um, so that's one of those things that I think that by attending a PWI that I was not prepared for, that I think an HBCU would have given me um, the confidence to kind of navigate those situations, to call people out um, boldly and, you know, to hold them accountable for their actions. So I definitely, I think that that's something that people that attend PWIs miss from their training experiences. I personally feel that I, I miss that. I think Christine, like, you know, like you hit on something really important. Like, um, and I, it really didn't dawn on me until I ended up uh, at Iowa State where I was thinking about like, I think as a black scientist, HBCUs uh, in, in allowing you to not have to focus on your race allow black scientists to focus on the objectivity of the science versus the objectivity of the scientist. I think going into that predominantly white space, rather than being able to focus on the research question, I constantly had to ask to that timidness you're talking about, Kendra, can I trust the objectivity of the scientist? Can I trust that what I'm seeing is real, what I'm experiencing as a black person is real versus um, focusing on the actual research question, right? So I was constantly questioning like, well, can I really trust that what I know in this space is, is factual? Can I trust that, you know, what, I, what I've been taught in this space is real? Um, and I think because of that HBCU experience, like even on those days where it was like, okay, this is hard, maybe I don't belong here. Maybe this is not the space for me. Um, I was kind of able to, to pull myself and be like, no, nah, bro, you work for this. You deserve to be here. No one in this room is any more intelligent than you are. Um, but it was just that, you know, being able to focus on the, the, the objectivity and the, the experience of the scientist and being able to trust myself, the scientist versus um, really being able to focus on the science. And I, I think as at an HBCU, I got to focus more so on the science and it was never about whether you're black or not. So at least this point, like all the other chemists and biotechnologists and geneticists I was seeing were black. So it was like, oh, well, obviously I belong here. Obviously I'm capable of this, right? Um, but that's just my, my thoughts on tying that all together. Christine, it was something that you said that made me recall a conversation that I had with Antonio about being in these in these spaces and speaking up and speaking out uh, about certain things. Um, I, I do think that when I when I reflected, when I got more credentialed, and I stopped, stopped giving a fuck about what people had to say about me or say to me, because I'm like, look, I, I got my degrees. You need me. I'm a triple minority <laughs> in this thing. So it. I remember Antonio, you said, look, man, we are not our grandparents. <laughs> we we are going to speak up and speak out in these meetings um, to let it be known that X, Y, Z. And, and sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't let me make sure I don't get fired. Let me 
let me hush my mouth up. But at the end of the day, I feel like you're not going to, to move the organization forward if we continuously be in this place where we're afraid to speak up and speak out about certain things. Um, we were invited at my company, uh, we were invited to do this African-American panel to speak with senior leadership. <laughs> and, and when we spoke to that senior leadership, it was like, look, man, this is what's going on. And I noticed that the people who were around me, they didn't want to, and I don't want to get into many details because I don't want to mention, uh, give away what this organization is called, but this is what's going on. And as soon as I spoke up about what I saw and what I witnessed in my limited time there, the rest of the rest of the people on that call, they started chiming in and saying, yes, this is a problem. This is it. And we're talking to the senior vice president of the entire company. He only reports to the CEO. And I'm just like, look, fam. And I was like, oh, they're going to fire me. This is this is so true. I often chastise myself for 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 that timidness that that comes out of me when I'm when I'm in these these meetings with people because I'm looking at like these these old white guys and they're not timid at all they just pop off at the mouth and say whatever and 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 damn if anybody challenges them on it inappropriate and I'm sitting here worried about saying the wrong thing thinking very hard about what I'm going to say before I say it I actually had a conversation with someone and and recently about this and um we were talking, we're like, we have to think so hard before we send an email, before we make a phone call, while we're in the meetings of exactly what we're going to say to not come off as, as, as what they stereotype us as. And it's, it's, it's sad to me because I got a lot of shit I want to say sometimes. And I sit there quietly um, because, because I'm afraid that like Kendra said, am I going to get fired? But how are they going to fire me off of a grant? You know, this is the things I don't think about sometimes. <laughs> I think they can't fire me. Um, but, but at the same time, I, I, I try to be tactful. Um, but they don't, they don't have that same sort of respect sometimes um, in the room. So yeah yeah i was i was wondering why everybody was laughing a few seconds ago i just saw oh <laughs> no, i was just talking shit in the background <laughs> like for me it was like i came in sort of with that timidness into the corporate world and then i started talking to people and i'm like yeah where'd you go to school what's your what's your background and then you find out like they make some of these people make more money than you do with associates degrees in like nothing you're like oh so you they wouldn't hire my black ass with an associate's degree in basket weaving to do no sort of product management <laughs> you got an opinion on the molecular structure of corn and whether we can do any gym like no, no, you got to be overqualified for a job that sh that doesn't require half or like, even in my current role i'm bored on a daily because i'm just like this is not utilizing my degree, my extensive education that I've received a PhD in cancer biology for, like, but you're not qualified to do that role. I'm like, such and such got a master's of science and I don't know, didn't even have to do a thesis project to graduate, but they're qualified to have this role. I. You got an MBA. You know, this this really makes me think of something Brianna said earlier that you know, in these spaces when when they're not created and the environment's not conducive, particularly right now, I'll talk about for Black people, 
um, she's seen so many of her, her colleagues leave. And as discouraging as that may seem, I'm actually very encouraged by it. Because I think that what's happening right now is that we're in a place where we're having um, a shift of consciousness and an awakening to our own individual and collective power. And we're no longer saying we need to be at your tables. We need to improve your tables. We need our money and our rent paid from your tables. We're like, look, give me a loaf of bread and some peanut butter and jelly. I'm about to start my own table, okay? And I find that to just be extraordinarily encouraging um, that people are starting to see their own individual and collective power. I think that we really started to see it this summer and then football came back and we forgot all about it. But um, but um, I, I think I find that I find that very encouraging. I um, I work with an organization where I was the only black person when I started there a year ago, and um, I I didn't I, I wanted to leave and make my own table, but I didn't. I probably should have. Um, but I decided to try to just make a lot of noise and improve their table. Now we have four black people, four or five. We have. Uh, some Asian people, we have some Hispanic people. We had none of that. It was just literally just white and me <laughs> when I started there. And there was like, you know, sexual orientation diversity, um, our pre sexual prefer our pre preference, excuse me if I'm not saying this correctly, because I, I mean it from my heart the right way. But um, but um, yeah, there there and you know, lots of women, white women, I guess, diversity. Um, but um, I think it's encouraging that this awakening is, in, is inspiring us to create our own places to do the things we want to do. Yeah. Like this podcast. <laughs> like this podcast. Hey, like this podcast. Like you, stupid you, science. You hit some stuff right on the head, Elise, because when I, when I think about people, because that's what's happening, right? People are getting frustrated and they're walking away. They're either going to better jobs, uh, higher paying jobs at other organizations, or they're starting their own thing. And I think that's going to cause people to stop, look and listen. And okay, why cannot, why can't we uh, improve retention? We're doing good at recruiting this talent, uh, but why can't we retain? And a lot of it is because um, they're not creating safe safe spaces for these people and they're working at it and it's a work in progress you got to get some old souls out who have this anti these antiquated ideas out first um and then you and not only do you have to provide safe spaces but you also have to provide opportunities for growth and development and you have to show them paths forward for them to feel comfortable about staying and look if, if they're not doing it walk away this is, this is a very interesting perspective um and I, I agree. I think I was, I have a lot of these conversations with a lot of different people, but um, we were talking about um, the problem of the ability to say no in these spaces if you and, and walk away from certain things, especially when you don't get, you're not getting paid for them. Somebody mentioned earlier about doing the diversity work, but we don't get an extra paycheck for the diversity work. We rarely even get acknowledged that we're doing these sort of works. We just sort of do it as like a I feel partially a moral obligation. Um, the other part of it is uh, I enjoy the work, but it is, is it part, it's like, I wanna help my people, you know, um, at the root of it. And I wanna see people be able to get up on those, those stepping stones. Um, 
So I try to try to help clear the path a little bit um, so that people can come up. But at the same time, I've spent even at my short time at Yale hours doing extra diversity work outside of my science um, that sometimes takes over my science or precedence over my science and and at the root of everything that I'm doing I'm a scientist right I don't I won't get hired on for my diversity work I'll get hired on for how many papers I pushed out um, how many grants I can I can um, obtain and that sort of thing so it's it's I, the discussion that I had with someone is like maybe we need to start having workshops about teaching um, underrepresented minorities to know their value and to know to come to the table bargaining. Um, just like um, our, our non-people um, of color, just like they do. They come to the table if the, the deal isn't right, if, if the, the paycheck isn't right, they say no, they walk away. But a lot of times um, we'll settle for something because we think, oh, we just gotta slide in and get in the door, get our foot in the door. So I, I think a lot of this thinking um, has come out of survival, a need to survive, um, but it has to evolve at some point so that we can be on the same playing field. Um, so those are my thoughts. That's all we got for you today, folks. Thanks for tuning in and be on the lookout for the continuation of this conversation in the next episode. Stay beautiful, people. And remember, it's okay to feel stupid, but don't you dare stay that way.